What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you, and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short, anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. Ain't Hard to Tell podcast, episode 84, Dexter, Henry, Brian, Fonseca. And if you're watching this and not just listening, you'll see we're in a bit of a different space. This yeah. is a new home yeah. of the Gotham Podcast Studio uh, that we're recording in. So I uh, hope you enjoy what you see. Hope you like it. We're good. But we have a guest with us today, uh, a friend I haven't seen in a while in the sports journalism industry. Her name is Christina Tapper. Dexter uh, has many friends. I don't have that many friends. Yes, nobody, nobody likes me. Yes, you do. I swear to God, he knows everybody. <laughs> Dexter, with all the jobs you have, I'm pretty sure your network <laughs> Wait, is far and wide. Have and have had. Okay. <laughs> have and have had. Christina makes it sound like as long as she's seen me and know me, I've had a lot of jobs, but that is true. Because yeah. when I met her, actually, she was like, what do you do? And I think I listed like a bunch your, of your, stuff. Your resume could be a long form piece at this point. Wow. That makes, it can be like a long form I don't know if that makes story. me feel old or accomplished. Accomplished. There we go. You, you, you're a veteran. I mean, you're not <laughs> 50. No. You know what we'll I mean? We'll say like, you're seasoned. We're not going to call you Seasoned. Old. I, Seasoned. Yeah, I like it. I like seasoned. <laughs> Christina Tapper. She is a sports and culture digital editor and journalist. Uh, she's worked for places like People Magazine, Bleacher Report, Sports Illustrated for Kids. Uh, Christina, first of all, how you doing? I'm great. How are y'all doing? We're good. Doing all I'm right. good. I'm tired, but good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, right. you, I mean, you come back here from what? You said Arkansas? I was in Arkansas yeah. recently. Okay. Yes. Right. Over under uh, five, how many black people you saw in Arkansas when you were Yo! There? good amount of black folks in Arkansas. In fact, uh, did it- No, because we were talking about this beforehand. He was like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to- Now he came to report back. I came to report back. It depends on what part. I didn't know. I was in Little Rock, so I didn't know what it would be like there, but it was- Little Rock was a cool city, very small. Uh, The mayor of Little Rock is black. Uh, (laughs) Little Rock has a lot of history. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, His communications director was black, so I interviewed some really good people doing some work out there with the flooding and- Things like that. So that was cool. It was it was nice to see another city. I didn't really get to get any Arkansas barbecue, so I was a little disappointed oh, in that. Oh, damn. Oh, okay. That was my uh, next never, question. Yeah, I've never been to Arkansas. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Um, I'm curious about their, their barbecue down there. Yeah, I was yeah. interested. So I ended up talking to a sister at a restaurant. She was trying to tell me some spots, and she was like, she prefers driver up bar- barbecue, which oh. I do as well, too. Okay, okay. Because um, her point is like, you don't really need the sauce but, if it's really like that. So I'm like, I do as well. Okay. Um, but she said, you can get a mix of whatever you want there. Like, I know in Texas, dry rub is a big thing, and I like yeah. the, like it down there, too. And same, similar to Kansas City. But right. Arkansas City. was cool. Kansas huh? City is the place I want to try that barbecue. Yeah, yeah. same. Kansas same. City, I want to Cal- Kansas City, Dallas, uh, and Memphis. Memphis, oh, Memphis. Memphis barbecue is good. Y'all both did yeah, Memphis. Memphis. Yeah. Oh, yes. You got to go. You got to yeah. Memphis is good, man. Beale Street is cool. Like, this is cool. Yeah, city. no. I, I really fell in love with Memphis. I went down there uh, when I went to interview Marcus All for okay. a Sports Illustrated Kids before, you know, before he before maybe become a, a champion. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, by the time we put this out. Oh he'll yeah, be, oh, he he'll could be a champion he already. Right now, we congrats, don't know. Congrats, Marcus. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. He's, Ooh, he's you are planting your there. flag right yeah, there. Oh, right? it's, it's it's game five. That's it. That's okay. it. Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you've been down in Memphis, and you you. Kicked, that was you like I think twenty fifteen. Yeah. Um. 
I can't recall exactly where I ate, but I ate well. <laughs> no, Memphis barbecue is some good stuff. Yes. You got, yeah. I, I enjoy trying these various barbecues around the place. Yeah. We, we started us off with food. I know. But I well, will we say. Started the, we started a two podcasts yeah, ago we did. with food. Yeah, <laughs> we did. <laughs> we had a whole, we literally, it was like 20, 30, we were ranking fast food places at one point. Oh, Speaking wow. of which, what do you think is the absolute worst fast food place? Oh, God, don't ask me. Because I have not eaten like well, traditional fast that's food good. in a, that's in a, in a, in a very long time. Agree, agree. So he's, I, like, he, he's anti-Taco Bell. Oh, I would be too. I, I don't know if I, like the worst, but like I don't do Taco Bell. I don't do McDonald's. I don't do Wendy's. No. I, I do Chipotle. That's it. That's like you know, fast I casual. Walk, I, yeah, fast that's what, casual. That's what so. I do. Fast ca- Chipotle. Right. Cause like I'll uh, do Shake Shack. That's fast, fast casual. Fast, that's fast, fast casual. casual too. But if like, you have to wait for your food, then it's, then it's fast casual. True. Yeah. True. Um, I haven't done, um, Chick-fil-A in a while. And I know people love Chick-fil-A, but like their politics always have me on edge. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. That's I agree. I've just had some Chick-fil-A the other day though. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, I'm always like, uh, you know, I could go for a waffle fry. But again, like I, I'm hesitant to be one of those people who's just like, oh, Chick-fil-A all day. Popeye's, I'm like, I don't know. Somebody mentioned this on Twitter the other day. They were like, did Popeye's change its recipe? Like, they're just, yeah, somebody said like Popeye's right now is just okay. And I was like, you know what? I kind of feel the same way. Like, I like it. I'm a KFC Popeye's guy. Oh, really? I'm a KFC Popeye's guy. I've never heard that. Wow. I've heard like people say Bojangles or churches over. But here's the thing for different reasons. For me, KFC is grilled chicken, and their grilled chicken is actually pretty good. I haven't had KFC in years. <laughs> I, okay, oh here's let, let me let me let me I'll say before we actually get off. Before we, yeah, yeah, we need to, I, we I, have stuff to actually this, talk about. This has been a contention. I brought this up on like Facebook years ago. KFC and Popeyes, right? And I I like KFC's chicken better. Okay. At one point, I used to actually think, and I think now I think this is ridiculous. I used to think KFC's biscuits were better. KFC's biscuits Ooh. are trash right now. Popeyes, see, really? See, that's the thing. Like, I will legit just go to Popeyes for a biscuit. I agree. And Popeyes because there's because there's one like three blocks from where I live. I will legit just go in for a couple of biscuits and keep it moving. Hey, like, I will skip everything else, but I will get me a biscuit. I look, the biscuits are okay. This land. I, I mean, look, I, I've had them, but I'm just not a big biscuit. You know guy, what? Period. I would have to revisit KFC for me to like give a sound opinion on like. Because you're being honest, you know, I'm not. Yeah, I, and I don't dislike Popeyes. I want to be clear on that. I think Popeyes yeah, is yeah. good, like, but you you give the edge to KFC. I do. Yeah, okay. that's fair. I stay away. I stay, that's fair. I stay away from Popeyes. Just yeah. but we all. We, it's I not, try to eat clean. You know, that's what I'm saying. So it sounds it's like, like well, that's it, that's so Popeyes doesn't exactly do anything like, for me now. If Popeyes had grilled chicken, I give it a shot. Now I see. All, it sounds like all of us here, despite this fast food talk, we are trying to eat healthier, yeah. Yeah. and that is the message we're trying to send out to Boom. the people. <laughs> That's yeah. it. But yeah. Christina, you're doing well. Um, you've done a lot of stuff over the years in sports journalism. As long as I've known you, uh, could you tell the people, people don't know you, what your background is in? Uh, how'd you get into the game that is sports journalism? Oh, I always try to like whittle down this story, or like my editor senses like really try to edit it down. But like, how did I get into it? Oh, um, I guess maybe let's start with Penny Hardaway. Like I grew up okay. <laughs> loving Penny Hardaway. Um, and oftentimes- Bring it back to Memphis a little bit. Oh, yes. Oh, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yes. 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 Um, so my mom's boyfriend at the time when I was a kid was a huge Chicago Bulls fan. Ugh. And then, yeah. So like, you know, that first 3 P, and then, um, you know, Jordan retired. And um, 
I remember Horace Grant joining the Orlando Magic, and then like all of a sudden, like I would watch the games with my mom's boyfriend. Didn't know like what was really going on. I was like, God, uh, very very young at the time, mm-hmm. and um, Penny Hardaway caught my eye, and I was just like, Oh, this is dope. This like tandem here, Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal. But like I knew of Horace Grant because of you know the the Bulls three P, and so um, watched a ton of Orlando Magic games. And I'm from New York. So like I've never like was an X fan. Never. And <laughs> you said you you said that with almost this air of like well, which, because which, the, which the, I kinda like you like, yo, I don't I never lived that life of stress. I did I, ne- I never yo, lived that wait. Yo, what, big, wait, wait, big wait. Al said it. I'm from New York and never was a fan of the Knicks. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Right here, right here. So you did not want any of that stress. I didn't want it, but but it wasn't only that. It was that the Knicks of the '90s were so cocky that I was like, (sighs) yes, and I loved that. uh, So for like tried and true fans, y'all loved it, and I was just like, I can't get down with y'all. Like, oh my god, like I I so disliked John Starks. I respected him. That's my favorite player. That's my favorite player growing up. That's my favorite player. Meanwhile, Dexter is here just grilling me. I'm like, yo, why did I bring? Casino. <laughs> so anyway, I um, followed Penny Hardaway's career, um, and I tell this story to students, um, young students, oftentimes, where I was in seventh grade, and at the time, like I loved talking basketball, and I could only talk um, about basketball with the boys in my class. Mm-hmm. Some of the girls watch basketball, but like I'm talking about, like Penny Hardaway all the time, or Biggie's basketball, which I was really getting into, um, particularly the Ray Allen, Allen Iverson, mm. Stephon Marbury era. I went to that '96 draft, by the way. Like I begged wow. my mother, and so like full transparency, like I grew up pretty poor, single mom. We were yeah. on public assistance, and so like those tickets were like ten dollars a pop. But ten dollars a pop was hard to come by in mm. 1996, and also this was when um, the draft was at the Continental Airlines mm-hmm. Arena, which is now the Izod Center, yep. and yeah. this is before there was any form of uh, public transportation going out there. So my mom has never owned a car in her entire life. We like took public transportation everywhere. So my mom was like, "How are we gonna get out there? Well, one, how are we gonna pay for these tickets? How are we gonna get out there?" <laughs> yeah. And I like pointed to her boyfriend. I was like, "Come on, let's go!" And like he was like, "Okay, cool. I'll get the tickets. We'll go." And we went. Um, so anyway, um, going back to um, the story I tell students, which is like one day, again, I was like in seventh grade and I was just like chatting with the boys. And there was this one boy, Jason, who was just like, did not want to hear whatever I had to say. And he mm-hmm. was like, what's the deal? Do you want to be a sports journalist or something? And I had never thought about that. I thought up until that point I was going to be a teacher like my aunt down south. And that was that. Um, and I was like, yeah, why not? He was like, you can't because you're a girl. Uh, so is that something that stuck with you subconsciously like, it's never like i i wasn't like um russell wilson who um whose uh narrative is like he would write down like what the naysayers would say and like put it on his like computer it wasn't your fuel in that way exactly. yeah it was it wasn't it was not it, it was me i would say it would be a subconscious driver because it just wasn't like at the forefront of mm. my career journey so i was like whatever because i was confused um because Robin Roberts was holding down the Sports Center uh, desk. Mm-hmm. She was anchoring that mm-hmm. desk. You yeah. had Hannah Storm yep. holding it down, NBA on NBC. Um, and who I absolutely love was Cheryl Miller on the sidelines. Yeah. So, like, I saw these ones. It was very, very few women. I mean, outside of that, I can recall Willow Bay, NBA inside mm-hmm. stuff. So, but 
everybody else was. What did you say to Jason back at that age? I was just like, I kind of shrugged him off. Like I didn't have a clap back for him. Um, But my career can serve as one now. Cause I mean, like, honestly, I do not know where Jason is. I was just about to ask that. I don't know. So um, I moved around a lot when I was a kid. So like that was my last year. Um, So I grew up um, like pretty much all over Westchester. So that was my last year in Elmsford. And then um, I went, I moved to White Plains and I never saw him again. Um, And you know, like, I didn't know Jason very well, but oftentimes, like, boys say stupid things that they a lot of times don't believe. Mm-hmm. So I don't even think that that was, like, some, some like, wholehearted, like, yeah. Yeah, I you believe. guys were in seventh grade or whatever. Yeah, it was yeah. like. Yeah, and, I was going to say that. And too, yeah. also, I could tell it was annoying him because it, I was a girl just talking sports. And he was like, oh, here, here she is again. Okay. Like, what do you have to say? <laughs> like, uh, like, and probably just wanted to shut me up. And I was like, okay, whatever. Jason's listening to the podcast right now. Like, yo, that's me. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) So um, from there, um, I thought about, I loved writing and thought about tying writing and um, sports together. So, but I wasn't a newspaper writer junkie or anything. So I wrote one article for um, high school newspaper actually on my good friend to this day, Nicole Boykin. She was um, a superstar long distance runner. Mm. Prior to that, I wrote a newspaper article in sixth grade when I was in Elmsford. So like backtracking a bit on Vanessa Williams, the singer, her father. Her father Mm. worked at Alice E. Grady Elementary School that I went to. He was the band teacher and the disciplinarian. And my sixth grade class, we had to write for the newspaper, Miss Izzo's class. She would not let anybody off the hook for this. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was assigned with one other student to interview him. So those were like the only two clips I had like going into college. But I knew when I got to Rutgers, where I went to undergrad, um, I wanted to join the newspaper, the student uh, daily newspaper, the Daily Targum, um, which is independent of the university. Um, And because of that, um, some of the perks that came along with it was um, the sports department got to travel with the and women's basketball team and the football team. Mm. So when I joined, um, I was writing features on the football team. Um, my first year at Rutgers was also the first year for Greg Schiano. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and, uh. and so while I was at Rutgers, like Rutgers sports was just not popping. Yeah. Except for C. Vivian Stringer and the women's yes. basketball team because C. Viv is a yeah. living legend. legend. Give what? her all of her flowers right what now. Year, what year did you graduate Rutgers? 2005. So, so now I found Oh, that's right before Ray Rice. Because exactly. And, yeah. Right, yeah. Before yeah. the bowl game. That was right before football so got you were, good. I had women's to basketball live. was still like it was really, still it was still yeah. it was it was still strong. So the a year or two before I got there is when they made it to the final four. Final four, four. yeah. That's I think what I was trying I, to figure I, out. Yeah. My memory is like all over the place. I think if my memory serves me accurately, the farthest they went while I was there for four years was the Elite Eight. Um, and that might have been my junior year. So I was with the student newspaper for three years. I was um, I was an associate editor my the the spring semester of my freshman year. Oh, um, wow. So I so I moved up for very fast, and then I became um, the sports editor spring semester of my sophomore year. Um, and then I kind of um, stayed on just writing here there. I also wrote um, like uh, on our softball team track and field because I also was like. Um, really invested in making sure women were were um, made visible and presented mm. well in the yeah. in the newspaper. Even if you know people are like, oh, who's going to read that? Like, no, people will read, but we we got it. We have to actually create content so they can read it. Um, so covered those teams. Um, I also did a little radio for WRSU out there at Rutgers, um, and I also. Um, wrote a little bit for um, the Alumni Association uh, there for their magazine. 
intern at ABC Sports. But then right before I left Rutgers, I was like, oh, I don't want to pigeonhole myself. I'm also in- interested in women's lifestyle magazine. So I graduated without a job. It took me about 16 months to get a full-time job. In the meantime, I was temping. I was like a receptionist. I did like wow, all these little things. a very things. similar path to us too. I did that too. You know, like temping. I mean, bills got to get paid. Yep. I was living with my aunt and uncle at the time. And um, I just could not find a job. And I just remember I was also writing for like our little local newspaper, the Mount Vernon Inquirer, just to make sure that I'm just like getting some reps in. But at the same time, I was just like, my my morale was pretty low. So Hurricane Katrina had happened shortly after I graduated. And I had been volunteering with the American Red Cross since I was a teenager. And the chapter that I was a part of, they never really sent people on any sort of like recovery missions or anything until Katrina happened because it was just like yeah. unprecedented at yeah. the time. Uh, um, so I volunteered and I went down for three weeks and worked in the Gulf of um down in the Gulf down there. And uh, I worked in a shelter um, where there were displaced families. And that really made me, um, one, thankful for thankful for the blessings that I had, but it also reaffirmed that like, you know, when you think things are really bad in your life, it's like, oh, wow, there are, you know, a lot of shit's happening everywhere. So it made me more thankful. It made me like really a lot more uh, deeply connected to just gratitude. And um, also it's just, it was, it was an experience of like just seeing other people and how they deal with grief and sorrow. And I have to say in that particular shelter, People were so resilient and we were so upbeat. And that was just like something that was like so um, fortifying for me because like, again, I went down there with like kind of low morale and I was like, well, I just want to go help other people. Yeah. So um, fast forward to the following year, I was interviewing, I was getting ghosted on, you know, <laughs> some- em- em- We talked about that. <laughs> Off- you know. It's happening right now. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I ain't going to say ghost- no names, the, but- The know. ghosting. And so- um, Y'all corny for that. Yeah. <laughs> Very corny. Word. We were um, talking about applying to jobs and employers. It's not, corny and it's uh, also oh, I'm, a, I'm also just talking about like. Oh, people in general discussing. Yeah. yeah. That's not good either. We ain't going to get into that. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> this ain't about us. So, so this is another story I like to tell yeah, sure. students about um, not following the rules. So a good friend of mine went to Columbia J School and they have this thing um towards the end of the, if you're a full-time student towards the end of the year, where you meet with potential employee um, employers, and then there's a job fair. Okay. Yeah. My friend was like, I'll sneak you into the job fair. Come at this time. Hmm. And again, my morale huh. was pretty low at the time because I think I was like waiting back to hear from like some editorial assistant job and I'm hearing, hearing things back. It was a Saturday. It was raining. I did not want to leave Mount Vernon where I was living. But- I trekked down to Manhattan, uh, to the Columbia campus, and went to this job fair where I met the chief of reporters at InStyle, who was obviously like wrapping up and trying to go, even though like the job fair was happening. But I was like, these recruiters had been here since like 7, 8 a.m. on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. So she's just like, yeah, yeah, give me a call, whatever. And I was just like, okay. And I was like, man, I was like, she's in a rush to leave. But as she was walking out, she passed me by and she said, don't forget to email me. So I was like, okay, cool. So um, I met with some other people, and the next day I'm like sending thank you notes. Um, the chief reporters reply back and was like, you want to come in for an informational interview on Wednesday? And I was like, sure. So I that go in. Quick. It was quick. Um, 
we were talking and she was like, hey, it doesn't look like you want an internship. And I was like, no, I need a job. I'm not an internship. <laughs> I need a job. So I like that she recognized that immediately. Like, yeah. Yo, and I will also say this. I was... I was pretty naive when it came to internships because at the time I was like, don't you do all of your internships when you're in college? Mm -hmm. And they had an internship for folks in college, but also like a part of graduate programs and post post programs. And I was just like, oh, like that didn't register. Like when I graduate, I need a job, not an internship, even if it's paying. Like I need a full-time job. So she was like, hey, um, we can make you a a freelance fact checker. even though you haven't fact checked it, fact checked before, we can teach you the ropes, and all you have to do is just kind of we'll schedule you by week. She introduced me to her deputy. I just want to note both women were black, and this is really, really critical. Um, being a black woman too is like they saw something in me, and they were like, "We want to help you. Mm-hmm. You want to get into this industry? Yeah. We're opening the door." So that is like very, very um, important to me to continue to do hmm. as well. Um, I, I, I. Thank uh, the chief of reporters. Like anytime I get to, um, I also thank my friend who the person who snuck me into the yes. Columbia. He's at the New York Times right now. Like I love, and he's also someone who um, I went to undergrad with um, at Rutgers as well. So anyway, um, once I was in the door at, at Time Inc., which uh, previously owned In Style, I was meeting with everyone I could. I was sending. Um, cold emails because people will respond to an InStyle magazine email quicker than they will a Gmail. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I landed a job at People Magazine. I was there for three and a half years. Um, I left there. I actually, that was like kind of the first time I quit my job. Um, I left there and I took a year off. I was in Spain for three months, um, kind of traveling, living with a host family, teaching their kids um, English, but also kind of traveling around. I came back. I was freelancing for places like Black Voices, um, AOL. Now it's HuffPost. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and Essence. And um, That's I, right. I remember you told me you worked there. That's right. Yeah. That's and then I uh, ended up at Sports Illustrated Kids, where I was a writer, reporter, and an associate editor. And I was there for five and a half years. I was probably there about two or three years too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get to that. but uh, that was a good experience. All of my experiences, even with the challenges and qualms or whatever, listen, I am grateful for them. Um, and then in 2016, I joined Bleach Report as a deputy editor. I was promoted twice in two and a half years where I oversaw a team um, last year as managing editor. And in joining Bleach Report, I helped launch the premium storytelling division, BR Mag, which has um, the best um, uh, feature story- stories written by veteran journalists and also rising stars. Yeah. Um, so I oversaw, I eventually oversaw that team. Um, which was like around like 10 to 12 people. Um, and I think that was like my best work there. And it wasn't, it didn't even have my byline on it. Yeah. Honestly, my best work was mentoring and shepherding these stories, multi-platform stories. Like when we did the Damian Lillard music video mm-hmm. shoot, you know, overseeing that, um, you know, negotiating and secu- securing um, a lot of the athletes now that are like friends with VR. Like mm-hmm. that started not just with me, but even with people who came before me or who were working alongside me. So even when I see like the work that's being done at BR, I can see traces of what my team has done and continues to do. Well, you've done you've done a lot in telling that in telling that story, and I thought it was really important. You talked about like what really kind of got you in the door because I think there's always this one moment of 
somebody opening a door for yeah. you or helping you saying, hey, I see the talent in you. And like literally and figuratively. Like literally that was that was my breakthrough. I mean, literally that yeah. that the Columbus, like that rainy Saturday was my breakthrough. Like my friend was just like, come and like Like he know. literally snuck you in the door and then literally. this person opened the door <laughs> figuratively for you. Um one thing I want to mention before it's funny because we both graduated the same year. We both went to Big East schools and covered and you tell me how you traveled to the men's and women's basketball mm-hmm. team, which I did as well uh for Pitt. It's probably interesting. We had oh, to yeah. cross sure. at a game because I came oh, to the rack sure. for a game. Oh yes, uh, of kind. I'm sure yes. you came to the Pete uh, for a game. Yeah. So we had to have crossed paths, which is oh, probably yes. funny before we knew each other. Although I'm pretty sure we probably gave each other the black head. I was, I was yeah, like, like uh, we probably was like we probably saw I was like, I was like <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Um, was, uh, I'm it, trying to think who who are the stars then at Pitt. Yeah, Brandon. Brandon Knight. Brandon Carl, Knight. Carl Krauser. Yeah. Shout out yeah. to Carl, Carl Sanders being graduation. Funny guy. Um, <laughs> we had uh, Chris Taft at the time, yeah. went to the NBA. Uh, so, yeah, it, and it's funny. You talked about how football wasn't really that good. It was a golden era of basketball it for was. me at Pitt, like it that was. time. I went to Pitt at a. But also football for y'all. Football too. Larry, Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. Larry Fitzgerald, who lived in the dorm next to me. Yeah. Um, Larry's a good guy. I oh, great guy. I, I eventually. I, Interviewed him um, while in college, but I also uh, interviewed him uh, when I was at my first year at Sports Illustrated Kids. We did yeah. a cover with him. Yeah, he's great, and I've done some. I've done some other stuff with him in my career. So he's great. Whenever I see him, it's like a good time. So it's funny we probably overlapped. You talked about the black women that sort of helped open the door, and I was glad you made that note. You've been doing this for some time. What's it like? We I've asked this to several black women who are in the field of sports journalism who have come up here and sat with us. What is it like being a sports journalist as a black woman in this arena? And you've also done editing and you've also managed people, mm-hmm. which is what you did at BR. Mm-hmm. So what was it like? You know, I think the perspective needs to be known and shared. What was it like being a black woman doing all that? So I'm going to be truthful and transparent, but I also don't want to come off like, um, like oh, everything's bad. Like, cause, because- Black women in the industry are marginalized. There's, you know, several marginalized communities, but being both black and a woman, um, and also someone who did not come from socioeconomic privilege as well. Yes. So, um, what's it like? Um, oftentimes, I'm underestimated and overlooked, um, and that can be um, uh, in in many ways in which, like, you. Say you uh, pitch an idea and you're in a room full of guys and someone pitches a similar idea and mm. it's like it's almost like selective hearing. Like mm. they hear they hear that it's a great idea from the guy, but it's not different huh. from you. Or like they didn't hear your idea at all, yeah. or they didn't see your email pitching that story two weeks ago, but they definitely heard it in this in this meeting. Um, oftentimes, I I was the only woman in the room or the only person of color in the room. Um, And so last year really opened my eyes because I was finally in the rooms making decisions. Mm -hmm. And I was in those rooms um, with, you know, uh, senior leadership making decisions. And I was also in the room a lot of times being the resistor in the room. So it, it, it made me realize a few things. Like any room you walk into in which you are um, one of a few or the only or the other um, to read the room, um, pick up on um, just, you know, um, mannerisms or like the vibe of the room, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because oftentimes like 
there might be a time where like I really want to resist, but this isn't the best time to resist, right? This mm. or a, another tip is just like figuring out what what battles to fight. Pick, yes, pick your battles. Yeah, right? and I mean that's easier said than done because mm-hmm. trust I have fought a lot of battles and then you know like looking at the and like. Looking at the inventory, I'm like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have gone that hard on this because, like, that took away from fighting this one over here. So, um, it's hard to learn how to pick your battles, though. It's hard. It's oh, not it's, easy. It, 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 you learn through getting reps in, right? You just have to keep yep. experiencing it. And the other thing I would say, too, is um, what people need to realize is oftentimes black women have to um, do the extra labor of fighting for more black women to get in or more women, more people of color. And that's a labor that's not taken on by a lot of the men or a lot of the white men in the industry, right? Those are things that they don't, they don't have to, they don't have to think about because, you know, their brethren are, they're in the rooms with them. Mm -hmm. So it's like extra labor in like literally, and, and then you often feel like you sound like a broken record. Um, so, you know, before I left um, Leash Report, um, I, and this is something that I said in my pointer piece. That we're going to get to shortly. Yep. About yeah. quitting your jobs, quitting a, your job on your own terms, which is basically like, I want to see more diversity and inclusion because they're two different things. Mm-hmm. But I want to see that at all levels, the doers and the decision makers, because too often, if you do see diversity and inclusion, it's just in one pocket of the company and not like in leadership, whether that be senior or executive C-suite. So just to kind of tie this all together, it's like um, those are kind of the the challenges of being um, black and a woman in sports. Um, and when I say underestimated, I mean like there are still women who are being asked like, oh, you're a Raptors fan. Okay, well then – Tell me who they're starting five. Yeah, they got to they got to check you on that. Yeah, yeah. it's right. like you got to test me, um, or you know, um, people just not believing um, your you know your experience or your credentials. And the other thing is like oftentimes people have underestimated me because they think like I'm fresh out of college, and I'm like, no, don't let don't let the face fool you. Like <laughs> I've been in the game for nearly 15 years, yeah. and I think that is where like I really um, found some difficulty too. Uh, when it came time to like manage and do leadership, uh, to have re- leadership roles because they did think I was like too young. And so there's this, there's this mm-hmm. thing, it's like this interesting thing where it's like people want young people. They're like, oh yeah, that, they'll save us. The young people will save us. Young people will, they will. <laughs> However, it's just like, they will still minimize you or like pigeonhole you. It's like, we want you to be a part of the team, but I don't know if you can actually manage this team. Mm. I don't know if you can actually do this thing. I don't know. And it's like, okay, I, I understand those How are you things. supposed to know how to do it if you don't get the experience? Right, exactly. But at the same time, it's just like, but I'm like, you think I'm this one person, but I'm not that person. Like right. you, you've, you've concocted this story in your mind about me when you haven't even gotten to know me. Mm-hmm. So um, the great parts about being a black woman in the industry is that I feel as though uh, we can identify um, really rich stories across the board, um, particularly because a lot of the the sports that we're covering have black athletes. So there's a connectivity there that my white counterparts do not have. So whether you're in the locker room or you're, you have one-on-one interviews or you're editing a story, you're pitching a story, you're doing on-camera work, whatever it is, or you're fact-checking. I mean, like, let me tell you, like, 
black women will save you. Okay. <laughs> they will save you. They will save you in yes. life. They will save you in journalism. Amen. They will save you um, on the editing front. So I do think that because of the experiences of being a black woman, um, we just have um, a credential that other people don't have. I will also say that um, being black, a black woman in the industry, um, I've worked with um, and am one, but like there's a sense of empathy too that we have that we have that um, that other that other people have too. But I I feel as though we're because of some of the labor that we have to do, we're empathetic in a way in which we want to see more of us in the industry. Yeah. So we're going to do more of that work. And if we do see you in the industry, we're going to take more time out to help you. Yes, and yeah. that is that is necessary. And it's funny because you mentioned the lack of black people covering say basketball, for example, right? And I think it was Howard Bryant the other day who had a thread about how they're sort of phasing out black analysts or commentators where usually you'll see a desk, right? And you'll see like uh, inside the NBA, we'll have Ernie Johnson Mm -hmm. and we'll have three black people, Mm -hmm. but they're all former players. Right. You know what I mean? You won't see like a lot of places where maybe there's a Vincent Goodwill or a Mark Spears or somebody like that, where you normally just get the white dude who's the broadcaster and then the black dudes around him are just former players because it's like, oh, we could put them on because they actually played. But we don't get the analysis from... And you don't want want me to get started on the lack of Latinos. Latinos that are in it. Right. Right. You don't even see them in certain spaces. (laughs) No, because they put us on... Deportes. Yeah, exactly. Right. it's like, oh, can you speak Spanish? All right, we'll put you over there so you can speak to your people. And that's another problem. it's like, no... We want to do the English too, right. like it's cool. But uh, let's get to your pointer piece because uh, okay. we we wanted to get the to only that thing before. I just wanted to say yeah, about that is that it's, yeah. it's also about like who's giving the opportunities, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's and and that's why I think it's really important for people of color, women, just folks from marginalized communities to actually be the decision makers and a part of leadership too, because you know. Oftentimes we walk into these rooms and it's just like they're so homogenous, right? And yeah. the, and also the decision making is homogenous. So it's like, who are the folks who are giving opportunities? And oftentimes there are people who just are like one track minded, where it's just like they see a desk and they're like, we need three former players and just one person anchoring this desk. I mean, on a larger level, look at the election of 2016, where a lot of people from Middle America voted for that dude to be president because they're fearful of them becoming the minorities. Right. So they, in, in a weird way, hiring is sort of with the same mindset. Can be. It's like we want, we want, we want, as in you know, white people are saying that they want. To, to be the ones in power and right. they're going to keep each other in power. I don't know if that's, you know, more deep rooted than that, but just their sensibilities are like, I'm just going to whatever. That's why I think it's dangerous when certain people say, oh, let's just hire the best people because it's like, that's not intended for people of uh, color or other diverse backgrounds. I think, to hire, I think you always have to look to hire the best people, but you also have to look to make sure that you're, as we were talking you about, you can't have a room full of people of, of one of one, one background right. and that's as, problematic. yeah as someone who's done hiring hiring is difficult like i think i think there are so many different kinds of people who are like oh you know um people can't find you know this you know to fill this role like here's a thread of like 700 people who can do the job the thing is there are so many like really niche roles these days. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, like when I was hiring, I was trying to hire. Um, unfortunately, this this position didn't pan out, but I was trying to hire for a deputy editor to to report to me and to oversee um, writers. And I what think I, I saw find, that opening. And what I find <laughs> is that there's like 
people have pockets of experience. And then, so I'm also looking for potential because I'm not going to just, because I think sometimes we get caught up in like, well, you don't, like you're almost there, but not quite. It's like, well, what's the potential? Like, can I stretch you? Am I going to be able to stretch you? Right. Right. And I think that's where it's like, that's where the opportunity needs to be given. Like, let's, let's talk about potential. Uh, There was a, um, a um, Columbia journalism review piece with the, yeah. Jeffrey Goldberg. Yes. And who, Actually, I'm not going to talk about yeah. the, twi- the the Twitter storm. Uh, that that, came that, after yeah. that. But yes. he, he did make a point um, in, in which he was transparent in saying like oftentimes when we hire, like when we hire for men, we hire for potential. But for women, for we men. hire for experience. Mm. And yep. when I saw those words like on my screen, I was like, that's it. Yep. Like that is like I've even when I didn't feel like I was experienced enough, I'm like, I have the potential to grow into this role quick enough. To be like who you need me to be. So I think, so as someone who has done hiring and and know that it's difficult when we talk about the pools of candidates, like making sure that it's diverse and inclusive, that means it's going to take longer. It's going to be like more hands on deck. Like I was literally texting people, deeming people saying like, here's a role. Do you know qualified people who can like really like do the damn thing for this job send them my way Mm -hmm. because honestly i had a ton of white guys that were like just i mean so many people applied but it was like a ton of white guys and that's great white guys should be in the pool but there should be many more other people from different backgrounds and from different experiences also in the pool so that i know that i am trying to reach as many people to actually find the best candidate for the role Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. Christina recently wrote an article on Pointer. Um, and for to be clear, you might, could, want, to, you might want to spell pointer. P O Y N T E R for yes. those who do the not know. The Pointer Institute down to, in down in Florida. Down in Florida, and uh, the article is called "How to Quit Your Job in Your Terms." And I saw you post this on LinkedIn, and I found it very fascinating as somebody yeah. who has quit uh, jobs on on my terms. Same, um, same. Last year we both did it, so I at, found from, right. the, from the same place. And yes. I, yeah, and I and I. Found it very fascinating. I knew you read Bleach Report and I knew you, you left it. And I, I thought there were very interesting things that you you uh, went into that. What was the inspiration really in, in writing this? Because I think, and I think we all can say this as people who left their jobs. I think there's, uh, and you pointed this out in the, in the piece, there's a fear when, you, when you're doing it oh, or yeah. just even broaching the idea of doing it, right? Oh, there's yeah. a fear that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, Remember, I used to call you about it. I was like, yo, when should I do it? Yeah, and I'm not sure, and I don't know because <laughs> he had left a little bit right, like right before I did, like a couple okay. months before I did. I'm not sure there was a right time. I think there's a time when you know. You kind of touched on this in the piece too. Yeah, I thought that the way you went through it in this piece, and I think everybody should read, and we'll talk a little more about it, is 
you had a, a, a process, a three-step process of what you should do mm-hmm. and how you should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, or not saying how you should do it, but what you might want to consider yeah. in terms of doing a it. strategy. Well, a first strategy. off, I want yeah. to say congrats to both of you all because like Oh, it worked out. I, I don't I don't <laughs> I don't know if people because I when I quit my job, people started to congratulate me and I was like, oh, this is weird. And then I was like, oh no, this is necessary. Cause too often it's liberating. It's liberating. People feel liberated through you. Right. But it's also about like just it's a win, right? And I think um too often we kind of just like coast through life and we just don't pick up on what the wins are. And we don't like sit not saying like you need to throw a party. If you want to throw a party, cool. But like to just congratulate you all on like literally like defining your life and your and how you want to work by your own terms. Because we were talking off air right before we started about players taking short term contracts and really exercising their own power. And I think that's what the congratulations is you being like, you know what? This is great. It's great money or whatever it is, but I want to control my own fate. Right. You know, I want to control you my own You want to take power. agency over your work life. And mm-hmm. that, yeah, and when we were talking before we went live, um, yeah, I mean, we were talking about Kawhi and like what he's going to do. And yeah. like, I, I'm interested in players like him um, overall, like taking short-term contracts, similar to what LeBron did with the Cavs, which I think, or KD and the Warriors, yeah. which I think is smart because like, you never know, like the like life is so volatile, like especially work. You just you don't know, especially working in media. Yes, media. There are so many pivots, so you don't want to mm-hmm. lock yourself down for too long. But if you do, more power to you. Yeah, not knock me. Like, like yeah, it's like it, my thing is like I'm just uh, I like I, I told, in the piece I said I'm not an uh, a quit your job evangelist. But what I am an <laughs> yeah. evangelist of is like choice. Control your destiny. Yeah, just, I, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, you brought that up, and I wanted to I wanted to read that quote because that was a quote that um, stood out to me. You said, "I'm no quit your job evangelist. I'm sharing my testimony to remind you to give yourself permission to do what is best for you and your well being. Choice is power." Choose what you need to end and what you want to begin. Choose where you want to zig, where you want to zag, but above all, choose you. I thought that was very powerful. Explain to people, you left Bleacher Report. and Why? For people who didn't read the article. Why? What was the decision behind it? So I was promoted at the top of 2018, um, was excited to take over a team and also just the division in which I helped launch. but at the same time, as someone who's a black woman, so a woman of color, being elevated, um, some people have wrote about this, but I don't think not um, not enough people really understand that sometimes um, when women are elevated, they're just not given the proper support or resources to fully like to be set up for success, but also to make sure like whatever they're overseeing is set up for success, right? Yeah. Mm. So um, there was a lack of resources and support. I felt I felt I always had questions. Like if there's one thing you know about me, like. I always ask questions. You like, should question everything. Yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had a whole podcast about that. We did. Cold <laughs> literally cold question everything. everything. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a lot of questions. I wasn't getting enough clarity. And so the three-step process, which was work, wait, and walk, yes. um, I kind of like came up with that like um, last year when I was like really feeling pretty low because I was like, wait, I should feel great. Like I'm actually managing a team. This is something that I like always wanted to do. I wanted to oversee and lead a team in ambitious storytelling and I'm doing it, but like, why do I feel like this? And I, and you know, a lot of it was like me pouring into others and like, there was nothing being poured into me. Mm. 
Um, and so I was working late a lot of the time and working late meant like making sure my writers and editors are good, like on all fronts. Like I'm the type of manager who like, when I sit you down, I want to know like how life is because life affects the work, right? Then I want to know what your work is. Um, you guys said that you, you all want Mirren Fader on the pod. So she and I got really, um, close, uh, because I edited the Lithuania piece, the Lamella Ball yeah, piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, oh, that's the, that's I, read the, that. I read that. That's yeah. the one that's getting like. So yeah, I'm the I, I'm le- legit stuff. the one who called her and said, "Hey, uh, there's this crazy idea we came up with. Um, <laughs> do you want to go to Lithuania for like the month of January?" So she and I worked previously on um, a Monet Davis story and mm. um, a story that's really still close to my heart. Um, I guess we're the, tagging her in this clip. <laughs> the um the case sister story where we, ah. we we featured all four because that is the first family of hoops don't let anybody else tell you yeah. <laughs> there are two other sisters besides Nika and Chene hmm. Chene um yep. shout out to the Sparks yes yep. Sparks yes yep. very excited about that um <laughs> but um so um uh, when Mira was in Lithuania, if you, I don't know if you know much about her. She's a Cali girl, hmm. so this was the first time she bought a uh, winter coat. It's the first time she ever scraped ice off of a car. Mm. Um, wow! So these are like firsts in life for her, right? Yeah. So because like it's literally a tundra in Lithuania yeah. last okay. last January. Jesus um, and you know, like reporting wasn't going so smooth. Like yeah. some things that we were promised we weren't getting, and you know, like, mm. and you know, like not everybody is very friendly to the media. So like, and she also stayed long after everybody else were like, peace out. Yeah. First week here, we got what we needed. Whatever. Yeah. And being out there and not getting that level of cooperation has to be a fearful situation. And not to go back to food, mm. but like f- food, like, it, and also oh, it's, yeah. it's taken her ex- um, out of her routine of just life. Right. So, uh, Lithuania is seven hours ahead of East Coast time. So literally I'd wake up, I'd have like those block texts of um, like text from Mirren. And uh-huh. then I text her and I'm like, hey, you ready to talk? Jump on the phone. It's like usually between 8, 8.30 a.m. We jump on the phone. I start with, how are you feeling? Did you get rest? What have you been eating? Yeah. I started with those questions. Yeah, life I, questions. Do you, I, I don't want, I want you to continue, but just because you brought that up, do you feel that a lot of managers and employers are necessarily caring uh, about that? Ha, ha, like, ha, ha. It, se- it seems to me that at some point you made a conscious effort. She's shaking her head effort, for those listening. You made a conscious effort to say, hey, I need to do this for those people I'm managing. Is this something you felt disconnected to from people who were managing you? Oh, so like- I don't have any stats to support this, but like, but, it's anec- your experience. but yeah, yeah, anecdotal experience. No, people weren't asking me about like how I was doing. I mean, I wasn't, I was never sent like to Lithuania or anything, but like <laughs> completely out of, you know, um, you know, out of my routine, but like, no people, you know, the casual, Hey, how you doing? What did you do this weekend? Right. And then that, that's like it. It's like, it's very surface level. Right. right. No. And, um, yeah. my previous editors, they weren't ones to like take me out to lunch and like really try to like coach me up or anything. They were trying to coach me up in like the time it was like, we need to meet this deadline. So like, I'm going to do like a quick coaching session with you here, mm. but it wasn't anything like, let's do a postmortem on a story. <laughs> let's talk about what worked, what didn't. Right. Um, mm. you know, let's, you know, and then also, I would also say 
there were times that I I did this and didn't do this. And so like uh, the fault is on me, but like also me seeking like feedback and more like, hey, can you give me a proper evaluation? Um, because this is something I would actually tell my team last year. I was like, listen, editors need to be mm-hmm. given feedback constantly. And if you're not getting the feedback, then you need to be asking for it. But like both mm-hmm. sides, like, so sometimes like I wouldn't ask feedback. So that would be on me. But then sometimes it's just like, well, you're not giving me like proper feedback in a general sense. Like wh- what are my strong points what I need to be working on. So I think it's very valuable, but critical for editors to be doing that, especially if you're a line editor and you're working, you've got, uh, you have specific writers reporting to you, veteran or rising stars, but particularly the rising stars who are being molded and shaped um, and need to be need that need, and yeah. need that to, to, to actually grow. to grow. So when we talk about like opportunities and potential and whatnot, it's like, well, one, what's the accessibility? But beyond that, are we providing enough resources, um, enough and also just enough like coaching and mentoring to mm. a lot of these, whether you like content creators across the board. So whether mm-hmm. that's like writing or like, you know, broadcasting, radio, podcast, whatever. Right. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's really critical. Um, I kind of no, off it on just a it, it just it it really struck me that when you were talking about with Mary, that you really saw the need to do this, and I thought that was dope to see somebody just identified like, hey, this hasn't really worked for me, but when I work with my people, I'm going to make sure I ask, how are you doing? How are you doing out there in Lithuania? How's your day? How's your family? Because I completely agree with you. There has to be a work life balance, but the one thing does affect the other. They they are so interchanged. It does affect you. You know what? When, when I'm traveling and I go to Arkansas, I'm burnt from out from a trip. Um, you get burnt out from these trips. You right. come back, you do this stuff, you're pushing this content to get out. It's burnt, you know, right. sometimes it'd be nice for people to say, how you doing? It, <laughs> it, it also builds trust between you and your manager, yes. your editor, whoever you're reporting to. It builds trust. And also it's like, it's just good to know that someone like has your back. Right? Of course. Well, well, we do that in our conversations. When we yeah. talk, when we talk on the phone and stuff, we, and we're going to plan out some work stuff, we get the life we, stuff out of the way, way. first. Yeah, we try. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Even probably just, fifteen, even, twenty, even just whatever, as, like, thirty minutes. Friends and content, coll- yeah. you know, co- you know, collaborators. You know, you still should do that. Yeah, um, most definitely. You just to go, just to get back to you know, your decision was. You, oh what, yeah, to to go back yes. to like why. So why? Again, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Sorry. again. <laughs> Again, so, but that's an example of like just me pouring into people, right? So, yeah. like, basically, that's how I started my day, like, all of January, like, when Mirren was in Lithuania. Um, yo, you good? Yo, you good? Yes. Yo, you good? <laughs> so then, um, so again, um, I was just really feeling like I was on the verge of burnout. So, what it really boils down to is I was trying to avoid burnout. And I just wasn't getting the resources and support necessary. So when I was looking towards 2019, I wasn't getting enough clarity. So I was like, I don't want a repeat of 2018. Mm. So mm. I went through my three W's. So like work, I was grinding. And I mean, the the first W is what you do throughout the process. It's not like you stop working right. um, until you walk. Right. Yeah. But it's when you're grinding, but you're also being vocal on what you what your needs are, but also like if you are in a leadership position, what your team needs are. Um so I was very vocal about what what was needed, whether that's headcount or like maybe we need to change this process over here or whatnot. Um so that's the grind, the work part. The wait part is after you have given what you need and what your team needs. It's just patience. It's just knowing that you're not going to get answers overnight. But it's also about you following up, but 
also knowing that you can't be in this endless cycle of follow-ups where it's like, oh, I'll get back to you next week. Oh, we don't have an answer on this. It's like you really have to hold people accountable Mm -hmm. and how you hold people accountable is going to look different in different places. But just know that you should really be standing your ground on the things that really matter to you and your team or like whoever you're fighting on behalf of, whether it's yourself or again, if you're in a management or leadership position, but you've got to hold people accountable for whatever they've promised you. So if they've promised you an answer in two weeks and they don't have one, you just have to really be we be blunt with them and say like, hey, I'm doing what I can to be patient, but it's really disappointing that I'm not getting these answers. I like that language. Yeah. You got to keep it. People hate when you're disappointed. Oh, yes. (laughs) But I I like letting them know. I I, I like letting them know. I like using the term, I'm profoundly disappointed. Ooh, profound. You need a good good, good adverb before that. Profoundly disappointed. Yo, I need to be more disappointed in people. Actually, you know what? I got to. I could just, people people are going to disappoint you. I got to do that. Is that your goal for the second half of the year? For the year? second half of 2019? <laughs> get more disappointed in people? Well, get, well, not even just get more, but say it more. Be like, yo. Especially when it comes to like customer service stuff. Like when I'm over the phone, like that's what I, what I will use. I'm profoundly dis- Yo, I'm pr- I need, that needs to be a shirt for me. I'm profoundly disappointed. We can do, we we're can do that. Sh- we're going to have to, next time you come up, we're going to have to like get you a shirt that says that. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll make I'm that happen. Da- I'm down for but, that. But, but you're going through the W's, which I like. So you, and, then, and then there's walk. Which <laughs> and then there has was a, walk. I have yeah. a quote that I really like from there. It says, especially if you feel your values no longer align with your company or the job no longer serves your aspirations. Right. Which was very relatable on a number of levels uh so yeah you can sort of break that down yeah on on, on walk you obviously got to that point yeah i did by about november i was like man i'm like i don't know what 2019 is really gonna look like here or for me and i was just like you know what it's i was like i'm feeling it too like i really need to take a break and it wasn't and as i mentioned in the piece i Mm -hmm. did like a a very small scale uh, job search. But I was like, no, I just really need to take like a little bit of a career break here and just like take time to rest. So I came to that decision. I talked to my boss and he was very supportive. And then, um, yeah, December was just all about kind of tying up some loose ends and really just thanking my team for everything. And they've been incredible. I mean, I'm still very, very, um, I'm very close to a, a bunch of them. And another piece in the piece was um, you just need to realize uh, where and with whom your gifts belong and where they don't. Mm, And that just like that really takes some introspection. I think the question for a lot of people listening to this is like, okay, Christina, you left your job, right? What's up? What you doing now? That's, you know, that's always one people, people always want to do that in this kind of fear rooted way. Yeah. I mean, let me say, like people are afraid. It's like, well, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do for funds? Exactly. How are you going to survive, Christina? All those questions are going to be coming from somebody. So right now you've seen like you took some time to recharge. Yeah. But as you put it in the piece, you are working on a ton of other things. Yeah. Yeah. Because the first thing people are going to go to is money. Yeah. People are going to be scared. So so let's sit in that for a bit. And this is what, this is what I, I put in the piece. And so, Pointer came to me and, and said, hey, do you want to write this piece? And I said, sure. And they were like, oh, so exactly. I thought you would pitch that. Oh, so basically, Pointer. So this was for a newsletter called The Cohort. And The Cohort is like um, sent to like thousands of like women and men, but mostly um, women because it's it's geared for women, targets women, okay. leaders. Okay. And they were like, hey, um, they did a survey and they were like, hey, is there anything you guys want to hear about or, you know, topics or whatever? And I was just, I like... I forget what I sent them, but one of them was just like quitting your job. And I, I think I might have sent that even before I quit my job. 
Because hmm. so, you were probably like you were gearing up. You yeah, I was just like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I was just like, oh, topics I like to like hear, like, read about. Here you go. And um, the woman who leads the um, this particular um, again this newsletter pointer the cohort. Yeah. She reached out to me and she's like, hey, um, I was just reading some of your feedback, and she was like, I also see that you've left your job, mm. and she's like, would you like to to write this? And and she was like, if so, how would you write it? And so I was like. I sat with it and I was like, yeah, how would I write this? Like, you know, like, I don't know. How would I? Like, how can I, how can I boil like an entire year down to it? So I gave her some points. And one of the points that like, I like bolded, I was like, I want to at least reference that quitting your job is a privilege. Yeah. And I understand this privilege because I am somebody raised by a single mom. I um, was on food stamps, like not the EBT card, like the tear out food stamps that were like mm-hmm. multicolored. Mm. Like I, like as a kid, I like lived a life of shame with those food stamps. Mm. Um, uh, and also like section eight, you know, like mm. I, I the, all of these things. I've also been in places like, so I, I didn't put this in the piece, but like I left people on my own terms and I didn't put it in the piece because it would have made the piece longer. And there was a little bit like, it wasn't, um, I, I quit my job, but I also quit my job at a time where I like, I was able to um, negotiate a severance because they needed a certain amount of people to go. They did not want me to go because I was young and underpaid, but mm. I was like able to, um, so there was like nuances there. However, like that was a privilege when I left, but like when I was at, say, Sports Illustrated Kids, and like I told you guys, like I was probably there two or three years longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah I want to go back to that. Briefly. Like I really like I was doing job searches and stuff, and again, I'm grateful for my time there. But it was like my time was up, but I like I overstayed, and I overstayed because I didn't have um, any sort of like I didn't have a good savings, uh, you know, savings yeah. account. I was literally I just I, I remember I was like actually freelancing a lot while working there because I was also I was grossly underpaid there. Yeah, and so like I did not have the privilege of quitting then, and so I was able to recoup some savings when I got to BR, and then I was like, okay, need to go into overdrive with like saving even more, and so like again, I don't even have a safety net, like. I, you know, I still support my mom, and you, you know, ta- you talked even without about, a paycheck. You talked right about in the piece about not having, well, having the privilege, but not also having the ability to be able to, I think you said, um, I'll, I, the privilege I have isn't padded with a trust fund or a quote, I'll just move into my mother's basement, unquote, option if things get rough. It was an internal struggle to imagine safety net less life with no paycheck, but I knew the time off would be valuable. Mm. And I thought it was important to mention because- Yes, when I've quit jobs before and I quit one before and actually remembered at the time, I was actually moved back home mm. when I quit a particular job. And it did allow me a safety net to get out of what I will say was a toxic situation with a job. But had it been in the situation I am probably now as a father of a, you know, three-year-old, it's a little bit, there's a little different way I can can move or can't move right, in certain situations. Right. And so circumstance matters. And I thought it was important that you right. pointed that out, the nuance of that, right. that, that does matter. It's not easy for everyone to just say, hey, I'm going to just quit my job. Well, that's a good point because I am some, like, I'm child-free. I don't have any children. Right. But, in, but like, if I did, I'd probably be looking at this a lot differently. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, may, yeah, maybe I don't take a career break. Maybe I am feverishly looking for another job in mm-hmm. which, like, maybe I can take, like, maybe a month off between jobs. Yeah. But, like, or maybe you don't even leave. Right. You know? That too. Maybe. That too. Maybe, but it afforded you the opportunity to say that. And I think I think what I would say on the positive side of it is not to just say, hey, it's if you're in one situation or the other is 
if you do have the privilege and freedom, look at all your options. Exactly. Right, take, right. take the opportunity to look right. at it. You're not boxed in as much as you think. I think right. we're never as boxed in as we think. That I'll right. say. Right. Choice but evangelism. Yeah, Choice evangelism. You, you, mm-hmm. you're, in your mind, you think you're more boxed in than what you are. So right. what I also want to say to people is just even because you have a kid, I'm not saying that you're boxed in, just so I'm clear. And he's not saying don't have kids. No. No, no, no. We're not saying yeah, that yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. We're just saying live your life. Saying, look at the options. Look at the choices and look at them thoroughly and do some introspection because a lot of times we approach situations where it's just like, nah, I can't do that because I got this, this, and this, and this, and this. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, all can. of that is right. Yeah, you do have all those things. But it doesn't mean but like, you can't let's move. Just, let's, like, let's start to, to meditate more on what a reimagined life looks like. Yeah. Right? Yes. No, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's actually... It's instead of sticking for a place because, oh, consistent paycheck, exposure, right. this, this, and that, even though if you're grossly also looking at it like, right. oh, you can do that, but I can't. It's like, well, did you ever think that you could? And that might mean, like, again, looking at it in a reimagined way, like, just design your life. Like, yeah. have agency over that. Because too often, even if we're not um, vocally saying it, sometimes we're sub- subconsciously believing that other people are the ones who are destined to design our lives, Amen. right? A lot of times, and it's work. And it, and also, so in uh, since I've quit my job, um, one thing that I did was I created a newsletter for and about black yes. women who are designing yeah. and creating th- their lives as they see fit on their own What's terms. What's the name of that newsletter again? It's called Breaking Form. Breaking Form, yes, that's yeah. right. And and with that, um, I love bold, brazen women who are just literally like, I'm just going to live my life the way that I want to. And that's going to come with some trial and error. That's going to come with some difficulty. That's going to come with some uncertainty. Like lean into that uncertainty too. I said that in the piece. Um, and that's important as well because like not everything's going to be clear cut. Like me quitting my job, like that was the that was the end of what was clear cut. Like I was literally, you know, ending a relationship. And then I was like, well, what am I going to do thereafter? And then, yeah, I am a little busier than I anticipated. I'm a part of a couple of programs. One of them, um, 50 Women Can Change the World in Journalism. I was selected for that. Um, I'm yeah. in a cohort with some amazing women across media um, I worked with an executive coach uh, through that program, uh, Patricia Chirito, who ha- has been phenomenal, a black woman um, mm. who um, we connected um, we connected so well, and she was able to help me sharpen like what I want to do next. Like I still want to remain in leadership. Um, I am not married to sports, but you know, sports and entertainment kind of my bread and butter there. But um, I still want to lead and define and shape editorial strategy. I still want to mentor and coach writers and editors. Um, and I really want to nurture and foster um, talent in in ways in which like um, I'm shaping workplace culture. Because again, like workplace culture, like we talk about like my, uh, the example I gave um, about like Mirren in Lithuania, like that needs to be incorporated more into just like office vibe, yes. culture vibe, yes. company vibe, right? And I'm not saying that you need to be calling um, you know, your direct reports every day and checking in on their, you know, their sick child, but I'm saying like um there's a level of empathy that we need to lean more into um to to have like true uh work cultures that are beneficial for everyone. I was glad you brought up a uh, last question I got for you before we got to get you out of here about work culture. Um do you think your experiences everything you've had thus far including your most recent one and being able to leave that job and what you've wrote written about, written about do you feel that it's going to shape 
the next job you look for and keeping a very close eye on, hey, what's the work culture here? What's it like? And and almost that, I hate to say this, that if there is bullshit in the next job, you're able to sniff it out really quickly and be like, nah, I'm kind of got to get out of here. Oh, most definitely. So number one thing that I need to look for is like fit, like fit. And again, like, again, like I am privileged because I am at a, like, I am at a level of my career. Um, cause I'm not, I'm not paying my dues anymore. Like, you know, cutting my teeth. I did that already. Like I'm at a level where it's like, I have to look for fit in company culture. Fit is so big, but then I also have to look at fit in terms of like, well, if I'm going to give, and this is something else, like going back to, to Bleach Report, um, I was given power, but I didn't feel like I had power with autonomy. So Mm. there's like a difference Mm. there. And so like for my next gig, if they're like, you'll get the autonomy, you'll get, and I'm not even looking at powers and control. Cause for me, like the, that kind of, um, the, the power that comes with leadership to me is really about giving opportunity and for advocacy. It's not about control. So when I'm looking at that and I'm looking like, well, I'm not really vibing with like what it looks like the work culture is, but if you're telling me that I can help shape and define it, then yeah, we, we can have a, a talk. Um, but fit number one, the money got to be right. I'm just at a point in my career. Like I no. just, I, cause you know, like I actually took a pay cut when I went to sports illustrated kids after I had, um, after my year off and after I had left, um, people, um, I took a pay cut and I was also not, I was no longer, um, at the time considered like, um, a union employee. So I was not able to get any sort of like overtime pay and not that there was even like a lot of overtime hours anyway, but like I took, I took a pay cut and, um, I was like, never again. Cause that, they, that really, that really did hamper, uh, hamper me. And again, like I'm a woman in the industry women are still underpaid like we still need to get pay parity i think last thing before we get out of here what would your advice be to people who are hanging on to jobs for solely money good question that's tough because i mean because it happens it does i mean people gotta pay from experience people gotta pay their bills and when you're when you live in the tri-state area like we do when you live in new york city like we do um, with the cost of living as is, but that, you know, um Well, understanding that it's a case by case basis, but ultimately right, right, right. still you have to take into account certain things like uh spiritually, as yes. you could sort of hinted at just now. Yes. Um solely hanging on just for money. I would say one uh, form your board of directors if you don't already have a personal board of directors. So whether that's your boys or you're in mixed company or your girls, or your tribe, and really bounce ideas off of them. I also think you need to lean into your network. Um, I would also say discern who you are listening to giving you advice. Uh-huh. But I also think sometimes you just need to get out of your head. Mm. Like sometimes, a lot of times we're the ones who get in our own way, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think you know, talking to some trusted personal advisors is really good and kind of um, uh, bouncing off ideas. I often find that friends, for me, they don't, they give good advice, but the best things I glean from them are the questions they ask me because they make me think. Mm. And being able to think about things definitely. And then that helps you provide your own answers. Yes. Yes. And then I would also just say like truly look at you know what alternative plans uh there could be 
um, again, there there are more choices than we think there there are. Sure. Um, some some of those choices are completely out of reach, but they still could be a choice um, if you look at the, the entire inventory of things. Um, my advice is just like don't get don't like get out of your own way, mm. but also know like. Like real life is real life. You got bills to pay. You got to keep the lights on. If you need to feed children, you need to feed yourself. Like, right. I mean, like real life is real life. But I would also say like, give yourself a deadline too. Cause too often we linger in these like situations where it's like, Oh, I don't like my job. And then it's like, I don't like my job 10 years later. Still. So that's, mm. that's giving yourself a deadline is key. That's literally how I left the last job I left. I had a deadline. It was a very tough situation. Same. Obviously, and, and I Same. didn't know. I moved gonna, up you know, my you know deadline. Funny, you know what's funny that happened? I had a deadline. Uh, the job didn't give me what I wanted to move forward. And I left. And six days later, had the phone call for the interview for the job I currently Look, look at that. And look at God. Th- well, well, three weeks later, I was hired. What we talked about, and a big part of what we talked about last year was sometimes you have to close doors so other I doors do. can I open. I do. I'm a big believer in that. Yes. Sometimes you have to. Because yes. you're so busy and doing what you're doing yep. now yes. that you're so caught up in it. And then it's like, once you're free, you're like, oh, yeah. now you're going yes. through this now. You're yeah. like, now I, I can do this. Now I can do my newsletter. Now I can yes. work on these other projects. I think yes. doors are open if you want. One last thing I have to ask you. Yes. What do you think about the state of sports journalism? You've worked in it for as many years as I have with same, you oh, have the same boy. amount of experience. Um, and this guy is a little younger than us. <laughs> but what do, you, what do you think about the state of the industry? Because you did talk about how a lot of things are pivoting and a lot of things are changing, Christina. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing that as where we are. We're kind of like mid-career where, we're, where we are right now. But what do you think about the state of sports journalism? Tell us you hate clickbait. That's all we want to hear. Okay, so so I used to teach uh, I used to teach magazine writing at my alma mater at Rutgers. Um, Actually, in the same classroom that I took classes in, which is kind of crazy. Our second Rutgers grad on this podcast, I believe. Ooh, who's the first? Who's the first one? Gerard. Oh, that's right. Went to Rutgers. Right. Yeah, that's right. So you know Gerard? No, I don't. Okay. Um. So um. Yeah, I taught that like 2014 to 2016, so four semesters of it. And um, yeah, I was I was not. I tell him clickbait. No, no. Like, <laughs> you, yeah, you want to write an enticing like tweet or headline or whatever, but like, let's not like let's not promise people or like do something salacious and then right. like just be completely out of pocket. Like, right. come on now, because exactly. I'm also about like my my training ground really is like I'm I was a fact checker. I was a trained fact checker. So that's also why I question everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um I'm all about accuracy. State of sports journalism. Oh, that's such like a broad and general question it in is, a way. It is. Where... Are you well, let's just put it more like this. Are, are you encouraged where things are going? Um mm. things things are more pushing towards pumping things out on social media. Uh, are you encouraged I'm where like, things are going? Uh, it can really be both. You know, I'll tell you this. The young journalists are what keep me encouraged. The ones that I've worked with, the ones that I follow on Twitter, the content creators, um, particularly like across social media and how they're creating content, but also in journalism. Um, I'm encouraged by their curiosity, their ideas. I'm encouraged by them taking different parts and melding them together because we live at the intersections of practically everything. Like we no longer just cover sports. We cover sports and culture, sports and politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything is just blending. So I'm encouraged by young journalists for sure. Um, I My concerns are like with the business. Um, my mm, concerns yeah. are because, you know, a, a good friend of mine said, 
journalism and media doesn't have a content problem. They have a business problem. I have to agree with that. Yeah. And, it's, it, and by the business problem, do you mean the valuing of those journalists and the people? The, 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 the valuing, valuing of yes. the content, too. Yes. Because right. a lot of people don't know how to monetize their content. Uh, say it again. Yes. Say yeah. it again. Yeah, yeah, not, yes. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm concerned about multiple levels of that. I mean, yes, we're still trying to figure that out. Yes. yes cases, the talent. So. Um, I find that people really think that there's only just like a certain number of slots and they're going to go for the biggest name or the rising star that looks like they're like just really kind of like trucking along, um, which means that other talent is being overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm Especially c- when you use social media algorithms to determine yes. said rising young talent. So, when yes. It's not always the case just because they have a certain amount of followers. Well, yeah, it's kind of scary because people use Twitter as like resumes and like mm-hmm. um, a recruiting um, tools. Now- I think you should be looking at uh, Twitter and Instagram and all that, but you can't say, oh, yeah, this person should join our team because they're they're really funny on Twitter. Because I've seen that kind of flame out where and it's just like it does not, it does not, it, it doesn't translate. Right. Remind me translate. to clip this part when we're done. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no <laughs> it doesn't that's, translate. That's, that's a but then point. I also will say that, um, that uh, social media has also given rise to people who are really good and can translate yes, of too. Course. Yeah. So it's like it, it works both ways. Yeah. But I'll also say like it's so hard, like going back to the business part. So it's the valuing of talent, it's the valuing of the content. I mean, it's it's like people kind of go back and forth whether or not like they find long form valuable or not. And I'm like, it is valuable. You just have to make – the thing is it's good. You have to make sure that the ideas are good. The reporting's good. The writing is crisp. The editing is crisp. Um, and so, yes, the the I, I my concern is about the value of uh, content and how some people just don't see that. Like the value of journalism overall where – because people do just want like – 60 second clips of things and i'm like that's great but both can exist yes like both can exist and actually there are a plethora of journalists who can do it all they can like give you the six minute um you know the six minute story or the mini doc and they can also like give you a a bang in two or three thousand word profile on somebody and they can do like a 60 second bit of some of some point like i mean hi guys Hey, what's going on? I'm waving over here. Like, I'll drop you my info later. Right. Um, (laughs) But people will try to box you in in that and not see the value. Exactly. And then, like, and then the the concern about just like where people are putting their dollars too. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw like companies get into bed with Facebook and see like what happened there. I have a story for that for you off. Let's wrap this up. We got to talk off air. And and that's not to say like, again, like we should be experimenting and doing like every things that are necessary to make sure that the brands and companies are still afloat so they can pay people or whatever. But too often we see that they're like, the, there are business problems, but the people who are profiting are like C-suite level and the people who, I mean, we're talking about like fair wages and things like that's concerning to me too. I'll say what I am encouraged by is that there are several um, people who are, um, or several, uh, there are people at companies who are unionizing. Look at what happened at Vox. Vox yep. um, I, th- I th- believe Fast Company just uh, unionized uh, a, um, a part of their company as well. And I'm encouraged by... By, again, people taking agency and saying, like, yes. we need fair wages, we need um, appropriate severances, we need, you know, um, what what's our PTO times? What, like, 
I believe Fast Company, don't quote me on this, but I believe like Fast Company didn't have matching 401k since like 2009. So like Ooh. it's been a whole decade a since they, not. Yeah. yeah. And again, and Fast Company puts out, um, they put out like the best workplaces to work. I mean, it, just to give you some context right. on that, right? So I'm encouraged by people who are just like, no, we are going to galvanize and we're going to make sure that um, journalists, media makers, content creators, like that we are supported and that we're we're good on this. So we don't have to worry about this. Work. Like, because what's the worst thing that, it, like one of the worst things about like doing freelance or like doing contract work is worrying about like, did my check come? Say Yeah. Did my check come? Yeah. Oh, it didn't, it didn't come. Oh, okay. Let it, me follow relieved. up on this email. But I like, I still got to like do all these other things. Like I actually have to create content, but like, Dog. let me just like follow up for the 10. Uh, I, ju- I just what we do on here every oh, time right. we have people come we're gonna wrap it up we always we, your episode 84 so we always Ooh. pick a number um of somebody we put in our artwork to have the, the athlete to represent it for me it's funny i thought of 84 this, and 84 I'm like, is so easy. i think it's easy like what's the athlete that comes to mind when you hear 84 um so brian always has a list of people that we can yes. choose from okay so good because i'm like Ooh, was, okay. no, 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 no we weren't gonna make it force you to come up with yeah it. yeah no no <laughs> uh, like, let me pull my phone out <laughs> and, again, and again uh with 80s you do some fact checking <laughs> with, yeah yeah and again with 80s is typically wide receivers Savers, i think yeah. we all know where we're going uh, perhaps well. but we'll give a shout out to some other guys like tj hushmanzada chris chambers gary clark roddy white joey galloway herman morse uh sterling sharp shannon sharp Antonio Brown. And oh, we paused on that. <laughs> and Randy Moss. Yes. It's got to be Randy Moss. It's, it's got to be Randy. It's got to be Randy Moss. Be Randy. Yeah, so we yeah, all call yeah. 84 the Randy and Moss And I really, episode. look. The Randy I, Moss. I, li- I like a lot of guys on this So list. do I. I like so, Shannon Sharp. I like, I, I like him even on that Fox Sports show that I don't watch that much. But yeah. like, he's cool. Yeah. Randy Moss. Randy Moss, we're with it? He's, he's, we're with it. He's the best He's the best wide receiver of my lifetime just because Jerry Rice was like older when I was yeah, like so you yeah, younger. Yeah, really young. But on tape- Making us feel old. On tape, those are my favorite two to watch. <laughs> uh, no. no doubt. Uh, Christina, wait, thank you. Wait, straight cash, homie? Straight cash, homie. Yeah. 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 Straight cash, homie. Yeah. Christina, thank you so much for coming up because- this came about really quickly, yeah. and you you being able to come up here, and I'm just glad I got to read your piece. I really, I could, again, sincerely, sincerely thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely. Really Thank spoke you. to Thank me you. because of my experience, and I think it will speak to a lot of other people. Thank you. And I think people getting to listen to this podcast who may be either in this industry or in any other industry, mm-hmm. I think it's going to speak to them too. So you just coming up and sharing your story. Is dope. We we, we appreciate you, sister. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you. I appreciate man. you guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah and you you'll come back. We'll have you. We'll of have course, you back. Yeah. yeah. We we'd love we'd love to have you back. One day we have to come you back just to talk some more sports stuff. Yeah, I mean, we talk yeah. sports industry stuff. We'll talk some more sports. Make stuff. it a little yes. less heavy. Yeah. A little, a little, yeah. But this was this was good. This was this was this was cool. Thank you again. Thank, oh, you. This was, Thank this, you. This was I think this was one of our best ones. Yeah. Right? We we had a we yeah. had a lot of fun. Um. Yeah. Would you hear? Thank you again. Uh. So that's episode four of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Uh. Be sure. To subscribe to us always, support. We have merchandise on Twitter where you can get these great mugs that we have. Ooh. I'm holding up a mug if you're watching. We have onesies if you have we children. Have onesies, you have kids. We, we have, have shirts. We have tote bags we also. Have tote bags. Oh, tote bags. We have everything you can get. Yeah. Oh, Christina said she likes tote bags. Yeah, She's yeah. like, I can always use another bag. <laughs> In yeah. a bag with Tank tops for the summer. Too. We out here. Oh, yeah. we, oh, we, we have a lot of stuff. So support Guns us. Out. 
uh, extra content right. that we have on Patreon, please be sure to check that out. But always leave a review, comment. Uh, five stars are always best if you can. Uh, also want to give a shout out. Thank you to our producer, Mike, today uh, for this episode. Yeah, Mike. For everybody listening to the Ain't Hard Tell podcast for Christina Tapper, Brian Fonseca, yep. I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace.